0: Harvard Divinity School. Liquid Light, book discussion, March 27th, 2023.
1: So good evening and welcome, everyone. My name is Charles Stang. I have the privilege of serving as the director of the Center for the Study of World Religions here at Harvard Divinity School. So welcome to this evening's event, which is part of our very popular series on psychedelics and the future of religion. We're delighted to have with us this evening, J. William Barnard, or as I know him, Bill. Um, And he is the author of this wonderful book, Liquid Light, Ayahuasca Spirituality and the Santo Daime Tradition, which was published by Columbia University Press in 2022. So thank you, Bill, for joining us this evening to talk about your wonderful book. Before we dive into that conversation, allow me to plug an upcoming event. Um, Our annual Hackett Lecture in Global Christianity is this Thursday at 5.30 PM. Uh, Professor Aparecida Velasa will be speaking. um, uh, She's from Brazil, and she will be speaking on translation as linguistic and bodily metamorphosis in missionary encounters in indigenous Amazonia. She's a specialist in um, Christian evangelism in in Amazonia. So um, my questions for Bill will prompt him to speak of his own life and work. I'm gonna keep my introductions fairly brief. J. William Barnard, or Bill, is a professor of religious studies as well as a university distinguished teaching professor at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. His primary areas of research uh, interests include the comparative philosophy of mysticism, religion and the social sciences, contemporary spirituality, religion and healing, and consciousness studies. For over 15 years, including his ongoing study of Portuguese, Professor Barnard has reached I'm sorry, researched the Santo Daime tradition, a syncretistic and theogenically based new religious movement that emerged in Brazil in the mid 20th century. Professor Barnard is the author of Living Consciousness, The Metaphysical Vision of Henri Bergson*, as well as Exploring Unseen Worlds, William James and the Philosophy of Mysticism. Professor Barnard has also written many journal articles and book chapters on a variety of topics, such as pedagogy and religious studies, the nature of religious experience, issues in the psychology of religion, and most recently, of course, in theogenic religions and spirituality. Just a brief word about the book, Liquid Light offers an in-depth immersion into the complex and fascinating world of the Santo Daime, a relatively new religion that emerged out of the uh, Amazonian rainforest region of Brazil in the mid 20th century and which now has churches throughout the world. It's a religion based on the sacramental use of ayahuasca, a psychedelic brew. The Santo Daime is a quote unquote, hybridic religion that weaves together folk Catholicism, West African religion, the spiritist tradition, neo-esoteric modes of discourse and indigenous or vegetalista practices and assumptions into its own utterly unique an inherently congruent tapestry of religious beliefs and rituals. In this text, Barnard draws upon decades of attempts to look deeply into the nature of mystical experience, consciousness, and other non-ordinary experiences to better understand the underlying dynamics of the visionary and mystical experiences and mediumistic encounters he began to have while drinking the daime. That's the tradition's name for ayahuasca within, of course, the ritual context of the Santo Daime tradition. Now, before I go uh, ask Bill um, my first question, I need to tell a story. uh, And I think Bill knows the story that's coming. Uh, (laughs) It was about 10 years ago and I was uh, getting my baggage at San Francisco airport and met there Bill Barnard and Jonathan Goldman. The three of us were driving south to the Eslin Institute for a conference on subtle bodies and esoteric anatomies. My first time, Bill has, was a veteran of conferences at Eslin. I think it was Jonathan's first time as well. And I confess, I'm so square. That was the first time I'd ever heard of ayahuasca or the Santo Dime tradition. I sat in the back seat for three hours and listened to Bill Barnard and Jonathan Goldman go deep into the weeds of the Santo Daime tradition um, and these amazing uh, experiences afforded uh, with the sacrament of ayahuasca. So that was my introduction to this tradition um, and of course to ayahuasca, which is used by a variety of different traditions beyond the Santo Daime. Um, But it's wonderful to be able to welcome Bill back Uh, well, not back, to welcome Bill now here to Harvard to speak about this book. And it's been wonderful to uh, hear so many of the names I heard in that back seat, uh, and I had no context for, to now hear the, or to read those names and hear those stories again, including, of course, of the story of Jonathan Goldman. So uh, Bill, uh, it it gives me great delight to have you here at the center um, and to be part of this this, uh, series on psychedelics. So um, one last thing logistically, uh, and then we'll get started. So here's how the evening will unfold. I'll spend basically the next 45 minutes or so asking Bill questions about the book and its implications. Then we'll open it up to Q&A from the audience. So, Bill, shall we begin? Are you ready?
0: I'm very ready. I'm just delighted to be here. I can't begin to tell you how thrilled I am to be able to talk about the book, especially with you, Charles.
1: Bill, it's great to have you. Um, and I want to commend you. For those of you who are joining us who haven't read the book yet, oh my goodness, we have 124 people joining. So if you have not read this book, you have a real treat ahead of you. Not all academic books are fun to read. Bill has really... Written a very readable, very learned, but very approachable book. So, on that alone, uh, kudos to you, Bill.
0: Yeah, thank you so much.
1: Okay. Uh, Bill, so um, let's start with a very general question. I'm wondering if you could tell us how and why you came to write this book and in particular at this time in your life and career, and how and why this book differs from your other books.
0: Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, I, um, my first two books, as you mentioned, were much more sort of standard academic text about focusing on the, the teachings of two major philosophers of, of religion and of consciousness. Uh, William James and Henri Bergson. And, and I loved writing those books. Um, just just it was a joy to immerse myself in, in their thought. And, but what what happened with this book was that I, for my own personal spiritual reasons, got involved with the Santo Daime um, I, I had no intention of writing a book about it. I just wanted to. I had been hearing earlier, just because I'm a not just because, but because I'm a scholar of religion, especially anthropology of religion. I had known about the practice of uh, drinking ayahuasca in different indigenous and vegetalista contexts uh, for quite a while. Um, I was intrigued, but I wasn't. I, I wasn't really. Didn't really wish to you know, join in because I realized that, you know, ayahuasca is a very powerful substance, mind-altering substance, and I just wasn't sure about the context in which it was being taken. I it was, I, I knew that it was very beautiful in the sense of helping people to open up their spiritual awareness and, you know, being able to be more in touch with the spiritual underpinnings of nature, But I also knew that it was in that sort of in the more indigenous context, uh, it was also at times used for, you know, love spells and and cursing and things like this. And so I was like, okay, that's, you know, I don't, that's fine, but it's not going to be my spirituality. But when I heard, I basically went on a um, retreat with my wife, who was a a spiritual leader herself, spiritual teacher, and... um, with her students and there was a bookstore there and I ran into this book that was called The Religion of Ayahuasca then and now it's called the, uh, um, what is it? Uh, oh my gosh, no, then, no, then it was called The Forest of Visions and now it's called The Religion of Ayahuasca, that's right. Um, and it described the santa daimis, my first experience of he- even hearing about the Santo And I said, oh my gosh, here's a tradition that really has as the very heart of its intentionality to bring light and love, divine light and love into this world and to help to transform the entire world, especially focusing each person on their own innate spiritual evolution. I said, well, now that's a use of ayahuasca and an intentionality of ayahuasca I can can get behind. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I had that long uh had a series, which I talk about in the book of of uh, um, wor- uh, of workshops, initial workshops with Jonathan Goldman that, because I, through a whole process, I reached out to him and that was a whole thing about how to, the synchronicity of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I finally, at a certain point, it just became clear to me, I, I don't want to grandiosity, you know, within any sort of sense of like, being called or whatever but it just became really clear in her message that that i that i'm i I should write a book on this and uh, so i decided to and and i really just like what you what you said charlie i uh, i focused on trying to balance out different voices in the book and Mm -hmm. i in the book i describe it's like in portuguese called equilibrando os pratos, which means balance literally means balancing the plates but it has to do with juggling Right. Mm-hmm. So I was really trying to sort of have the, because I recognized I would have at least three audiences, three major audiences, right? One was scholars. Um, and so that's that particular voice and, and, and level of rigor of writing. And the other was people who are just more generally interested in the spirituality of psychedelics and so sort of educated audience. But then I'm also writing to Dimestus to people who are practicing this tradition. And so I I wanted to write a book that would not only speak to all three of those audiences, but also be a respectful um, um, voice within those three audiences. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, as I said, kudos to you because you succeeded masterfully in doing so. And um, I'm really happy that you're part of the series because we've tried, with the series to balance a similar set of plates. That is to try to bring really rigorous scholarship um, to audiences uh, that are interested, um, but may not know of these books or may not be used to reading uh, academic monographs. Um, I think they'll all be pleasantly surprised by yours. (laughs) (laughs) Um, now, Bill, I'm going to I'm going to resist the temptation to ask you a, about the timing of this in your career, because, uh, you know, in your in your I believe it's in the introduction you speak about, you know, um, about sort of tenure and and a sense of like, if if academic um, tenure doesn't afford this kind of venture yeah. What does it? What what is it for, really? Exactly. But if, if you feel called to to speak to that in any of these responses, you can. But but I wanted to ask you um, about your your work on Bergson and and James because you've written one book, you know, essentially on the metaphysics of Henri Bergson, and another on the mysticism of William James. So you've been, you, you know, you you've made a a reputation for yourself as someone, uh, deeply learned in the um, in the Western philosophical and religious tradition, um, philosophy of, and psychology of religion. And I'm curious, how did that previous work on Bergson and James on metaphysics and mysticism influence or inform your treatment of the Santo Daime tradition?
0: Yeah, no, it, it, was, it was integral to it and remains integral because diving into the work of these two, I mean, seriously brilliant thinkers has just changed my own perspective on on who I am and what the world is, and so of course it was going to inform my um, research of the Santo Daime. Um, but there was some very specific ways in which, when and I try to, because I continually draw upon them in 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 the book, you know, that I that I used or drew upon their perfe- their perspective. And um, so I mean, I mean, just give you one example um, when. I I I think part of the a large part of the book is looking at or trying to create uh, as sophisticated understanding as I can of two different phenomena: the visionary medium, I'm sorry, the visionary uh, mystical experiences that are often catalyzed by drinking the daimy, drinking ayahuasca, and then the phenomenon of mediumship within the Santo dining. Mm. And, I don't think I could have had anywhere near as a sophisticated framework for understanding and, or beginning to help me to understand these two phenomena if I hadn't have read and been immersed in the thought of, of William James and Henri Brickson. um So, for instance, with William James, there there's such an under strong understanding of um, the sense that every moment of our lived experience is a fusion of what he calls knowledge by acquaintance and knowledge about. And knowledge by acquaintance, he's saying, is, is basically <clears throat> sensory experience or sensory-like experiences. So, um, you know, it's the immediacy of, you know, seeing that this is purple, right? And mm-hmm. and that, you know, of feel it, feeling the breeze, you know, in right. your face. But then you know, when, when I'm holding this water bottle, I'm not just so that would be knowledge by acquaintance. But knowledge, we also, whenever we have any moment of experience, you know, I when I'm looking at this water bottle, I'm looking at a water bottle. A, I, I have a whole linguistic set of understandings of what a water bottle is, what color is, what you know, the whole the whole series of basically tacit. Subconscious um, um understandings, a whole web, a framework of understandings that begin to sort of take that those sensory experiences and and shape them and mold them into the specific deeply personal experiences that I'm having, the lived concrete experience I'm having right now. And so what that James would would go on to apply this to visionary mystical experiences, that same sort of understanding. So that for me, when I'm having a, myst- a visionary mystical experience within the Santo Daimi, I'm wanting to, uh, it's not quite I'm highly aware that that experience has a sort of a thatness, like a concrete objectivity to it. it it's not, it's coming to me with a sense of that I did not initiate that experience in the same way that I didn't initiate purple. You know? mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if I'm having a visionary experience like I talk about in the book of let's say this uh golden green dragon that's coming slithering in from the right hand side of my inner sort of visionary experience, I didn't sort of like that. That's coming of its own accord. It has its own sort of ob- objective reality to it but at the same time when i'm ex- having that experience i'm superimposing underneath the not consciously i'm just underneath the awareness because i can't help it all my understandings of dr- dragons and mm-hmm. you know of you know and all my experiences of that and and the f- wet the frameworks in which that you know, emerge and all the symbolism of that for my training and cross-cultural mythology, et cetera, et cetera, right? And mm-hmm. so from my experience, every visionary experience, every mystical experience is a fusion of these two components, you know? So there's a, it, it, so it's always both and. It's not like we're we're not just making it up, but at the same time, it's a participatory event, just like every moment of experience is. And so I think that's really important because sometimes people think that what they're experiencing when they're having these experiences with psychedelics is a purely objective event, right, and I don't think that's true, but at the same time I don't think it's just made up either it's it there, there's something that can push back that can sort of confound our expectations that can uh, overturn our expectations and, and James is one of the first people to talk about that as well right. and then you know I draw upon Bergson a lot as well we'll talk about mediumship in, within the Santo Dime and I I think that was where I really appreciated his perspective a lot um because he he and and James talk about the sense of um, the way in which there can be overlapping consciousnesses. You know, uh, James refers to this as the compounding of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So that, um, I'll come back to James, then I'll, I'll return to it for example. But, but with, with James, you know, he's saying that for instance, right now in our in our experience right, right here and now, I'm seeing your image, right? and I'm, I'm hearing my own voice and your voice as well if I'd stop talking quite so much, <laughs> but, um, but um, you know, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But, and these are very qualitatively different and distinct qualities of experience, right? Hearing is very qualitative, different than sound, but in my lived experience, those two and uh, uh, any other senses, are fusing together, and so they're coexisting, but they're interpenetrating. And that becomes a sort of a metaphor for me, which for the phenomena of mediumship, which is when, you know, you, it, within Santanaimi, at least, and I think more generally too, as, as certainly as a scholar of anthropology and religion, I focus on this a lot. Um, the, um, a medium can offer his or her what they call in, in this tradition the apparelio, uh, the the instrument, the body and mind to let different disincarnate beings work in and through the medium. Um, and so, for me, when uh, Bergson extends this sort of metaphor of the of the of the compounding of consciousness or the, the understanding of the con the compounding of consciousness, to um, he uses the metaphor, a musical metaphor. He he's talks about um, like, almost like a, if you were, and I talk about this in the book. I like, so imagine a jazz band, right? Where you have a, a saxophone and a guitar and drums and, and, and um, a bass, and they're all playing simultaneously. And they're, but they're very unique on one level but also coexistent at another level, and so with within and I try to focus on this in, in the book, you know, within my own experience because because I, I I've had numerous mediumistic encounters, um, for, you know, whether I'm not going to claim you know the, the whole issue of like how evolved in medium is is a whole other issue and I'm not going to make any claims on that, but I've had numerous and I paid attention right, and so within my own experience as a medium it's fascinating to see that sense. And and maybe we can talk about a little more, but within a mediumistic, uh, the context of the ritual context of a mediumistic encounter, you know, I could, for instance, be experiencing the presence of the Christ or the Virgin Mother on one hand, just holding and protecting the the space, the energetic space, the inner space that, that I'm in. And then I could experience, let's say, um, another what, for instance, we call a suffering spirit coming in into the apoyo in order to receive light and healing. And then I'm aware of my own individual consciousness as well. And so it's you, you have this sense of like there's three different consciousnesses, and to say nothing and maybe the divine consciousness that's underpinning it at all, that are. Um, basically simultaneously present and distinct right and that and and, and that's a mysterious fascinating phenomenon because we'll talk more about it I, I would I, I would I would love I hope we'll talk more about it with this this whole phenomenon of mediumship within Sandra time yeah yeah I would too
1: I want to apologize Bill there I got kicked off by uh, the fickle uh, na- fickle internet um but I'm here I'm back again. Good,
0: good. Uh, I wonder what happened. <laughs> yeah.
1: So apologies there. Uh, this is definitely the most interesting uh, event we've had, technically. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe
1: it's those disincarnate beings. I know, um,
0: you gotta like whip them into shape. Like, come on guys. That's your
1: job. Okay, so that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk a little bit. I hope I didn't miss too much. I think I was only out for about 15 seconds. But when you first introduced the Santo Dime tradition, I think the thing that really stood out to me um, was the, the liturgical practice of mediumship, which if I understood it correctly, in the context of a, a, of a, of a liturgy, of a, of a sacramental, of community sacrament, um, some, but not all the members of the community act as mediums for disincarnate beings. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you could say a little bit about what that looks like for those who aren't familiar with uh, the, the practice. And also, what, what is the understanding of why you're, um, at, why people are acting as medium? What's, what's being, what work is being done? And what are the promises and pitfalls of that work of mediumship?
0: You're oh, a beautiful question. Thank you so much, Charlie. Yeah, um, just, just a, a few clarifications. Um, there are different types of what we call trabalhos or works within the Santo Daime. Um, three major uh, types. One is like what we call the concentration work, which is much is the the whole focus is internal. It's it's, it's deeply meditative. Um, then there's a work we call the uh, bailado or the, the dance works, the inarios that are... Um, where you sing and dance so often all night, the entire collection of hymns, of these received hymns, which I hope i will have a chance to talk about also, of an elder, of a Santo Dami elder, and then you have a collect a, a, an assortment of different works that sort of all fall under the category we call uh, healing works, which are works that are open to mediumship, and during these um, these ritual or ceremonial events. Um, there's uh, an invitation or openness for disincarnate beings to come within the the ceremonial context. And um, there is a whole procedure that has evolved over years of how to work with these beings um, in a way that's um, hopefully um, effective and compassionate and clear. And so, I, again there's so many different variations on this but i focus for instance in the book on on a work called the mesa branca um and the mesa branca is a, a work that begins um and again this is a, a way of huge oversimplification but but more or less there's a sense of in evoking what we call the spiritus de luz the spiritual the the spirits of the light um so the different hymns within the Santo Domingo carry different energies. They seem to come from, they, they, they um, and, 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 so in this case, the, there are certain hymns that are used to sort of invoke the presences of different beings of light, um, that we might call like, uh, San Miguel or St. Michael or the, the spirit of the Christ, the spirit of the Virgin mother, um, spirits of Native American, uh, uh, indigenous peoples, uh, they're called kabokros, the spirits of um, um, uh, the ans- uh, people who have died in slavery. The <laughs> um, that, those, those, some of those, are more typically done within what they call an umbandami work. But this, this has that potential for those all these different beings to be inv- being invoked, because the whole notion is that. You want to sort of sort of uh, flood the salal, the sacred space with light, with, with a sense of spiritual presence and, and love and compassion and power. So that there's a it's creating a very safe space. And so the reason that that's, and sometimes that's enough because that's a beautiful cleansing, healing. Because so for instance, when the kaboklos might come, there is uh, the kaboklos are the spirits of the Native Americans. They, they come with a very specific sort of high energy um, movement. So when the people who are participating in the event that are acting as mediums, which is usually a smaller percentage, usually the majority of the participants are not mediums. They are, they are singing hymns and they are staying present in their heart and they're creating a space for the mediums to work and to hold that space energetically. And so... In, in let's say the kaboklos the come they're going to stir up that the energy of the space and, and cleanse it and open it up and and uh, they might be working with the energies the subtle energies and, and blockages of, of the people it, that are participating in the in the collective energy within the within the sala within the space um but they can also be preparing the space and um for the arrival of, in, th- in this work at least, what they call the suffering spirits. Mm-hmm. And the suffering spirits are understood to be spirits of human beings who have died and who haven't passed on to the other realm, who have, um, who are for one way or another sort of addicted to this world. Usually, and usually they're suffering from um, addiction to violence or alcohol or drugs or, and but they're suffering, right? And on some level, and I think this comes from the spiritist tradition, the feeling is that all spirits are longing for the light, even the spirits that are sort of contr- is, as contracted and dense as these spirits are. Mm-hmm. And so they want to evolve and they're they're pulled towards this, this ceremony, which is basically like a beacon for them. And so you've got this room that's prepared and then and everything is just ready. And then the, with the suffering spirits come into the apparelio, the, the, the mind and body of the medium within that church. You know, there might be a lot of crying or uh, wailing or, or expressions of anger or whatever. And all that just is it's it's held compassionately and, and very skillfully by the participants. Because there's often what we call guardians within, within these works who... Who really are typically so skilled about how to sort of really genuinely welcome these beings? Because it's a, the feeling is is that within the um, within these this ceremonial context, we are this was called giving charity. It's at, it's a way to um, and to me it's very deeply similar to the I talk about this, the practice of Tonglin within the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Of of how to sort of work with negative dark energies not by expelling them but rather by transmuting them and so for these beings they're welcomed and then with the presence and the power and the blessings and the grace of these beings of light they they are shown tremendous unconditional love and forgiveness and mercy and sometimes these beings will fight against that they'll resist it but it's a sense of of like saying you two are worthy of of love and grace and forgiveness and Mm -hmm. finally it can be some of the most beautiful heart-wrenchingly poignant um experiences i've had because it's happening within me when this is going on right to feel that being just finally just sort of opening up and 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 the wonder and like unimaginable joy of like being released into this you know realm of light. And welcomed into it with, with, with just such tenderness. And, and so the, the cool benefit of being a mediumship, a practicing mediumship in that context is that you get you get to receive that love and that forgiveness also, right. And I think also one of the interesting things about being a medium in this sense is that these suffering spirits, what they're attracted to uncooked parts within the medium they can make sort of there's a resonance and so what's sort of cool is that you don't have to be this like perfect being to, to be a in fact in some ways it's like your own flaws become like a landing place or an open yeah. doorway oh, for these doorway it's so beautiful oh my god it's that's so, so interesting
1: that's so interesting huh okay Okay. Hey, well, I want to tack away f- f- a bit from the, the Santa made tradition for just a minute, get back to it, don't worry. And I want to invite you to reflect on this cultural moment we're in right now, the so called psychedelic renaissance. <laughs> um, so, first of all, uh, you know, I, I, I think pretty consistently throughout the book you used you preferred the term entheogen entheogenic to psychedelic um, but but i i can't recall you, you you okay so you're moving back forth could you tell me a little could you tell us a little bit about how you feel um you know about the category of psychedelic and or the work you're doing rel, uh, relative to the well, the so-called psychedelic renaissance
0: sure sure um yeah, I actually, I, 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 made a conscious decision to actually. I think, believe it or not, Charlie. I think I focus more on the word psychedelic than. than really? Do. do
1: you? Okay. Because,
0: okay. because I, and there's some part of me that wants to sort of rehabilitate the term, right? Because it, it you know, as, as I'm sure you, you know, or and and probably most of the people participating in this knows it was coined. Um, by this man named uh, Humphrey Osmond in his correspondence with Aldous Huxley and they were trying to sort of find an alternative to hallucinogenic or hallucinogenic, yeah. right which is which i think <laughs> is it just a horribly um almost a useless term and certainly it, it's not it's not a helpful term and, or an accurate term um and so they wanted to find an alternative to this and and so you know um Humphrey Osmond coined it as a way to sort of, it means mind manifesting. So it's a way to sort of uh that there are these deeper strata of the mind, these subconscious strata of the mind that that, that begin to show themselves, which is something that often happens with with psychedelic work. Um and so I I usually use the the term psychedelic because i want to sort of say yeah that's that's part of at least what's going on hmm. i usually, usually talk about psychedelic spirituality which to me big basically is what entheogen entheogenic is and um and i just think it's more um well-known than the word entheogenic but I, i'm completely fine with both it's not i have no problem actually uh within the use of entheogen at least certainly within my context because that's clearly what's going on here mm-hmm. And um, so, but
1: can I respond to that real quick? Sure.
0: Um, and then
1: you can tell us about the Renaissance. I actually, it's I find it very refreshing, because you know years ago when we decided to launch this series, um, you know I was reading around on the various camps and their commitment to different terms. Um, uh, psychedelic, entheogen, plant medicine, being the three that were the well, I was, <laughs> I, I wasn't really considering hallucinogen <laughs> uh, for the You're reason was <laughs> um but I, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because of course there are plenty of critics of psychedelic, and and I chose, I, we chose to land on the term psychedelics in the future of religion for much the reason you did, one because it's for better or for worse, it is the the currency in the Contemporary conversation; it's what everybody knows. So, uh, in order to draw people in, we we felt that it was necessary to use the term. But also, like you, I feel like there's something we want to kind of reclaim the term. Um, and and for me, uh, reclaiming soul, um, uh, the original kind of, kind of uh, you know sense of suke is soul, uh, psyche is soul. Um, and that brings me back actually to something you said earlier about. Um, Psychedelic experiences sometimes being framed as objective, as uh, as not symbolic or um, as 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 uh, as not constructed, and and I, I really appreciated what you said about James uh, as a as a resource for for thinking about psychedelic experience. In my own case, I've been drawn into the orbit of another Frenchman, uh, another Henri, but Henri Corbin. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, in in recent years. And I have found him enormously helpful in thinking about where um, soul drops out between mind and body um, in platonic metaphysics and psychedelics. Of course, Corbana, as far as I know, never was interested in in psychedelics, but, but he was certainly interested in maintaining a space for that middle register where entities that are real but also imaginal, we we encounter these real and yet imaginal beings, beings that are um, independent of us, but also whose manifestation is filtered in and through our own um our own psyche. So good on you for that explanation of psychedelics. Uh, <laughs>
0: I'm just tickled. I didn't know Charlie, you were you had that interesting Corbin I I this is just a total little side note, but I spent the six months uh, after I took my exa- y- exams, and you know I was trying to plan my dissertation. I was planning to write my dissertation on Henri Corbin, was interested in mysticism. Well, there's still time. You could write a second dissertation. <laughs> and so I'm deeply, i impressed with that man's work, and so it's a nice, that's a nice little
1: that's a nice resonance. Yeah, we hosted a conference on Corbin about uh, a little over a year and a half ago here at the center so i'm i'm deeply committed to him okay but now back to you um uh-huh. our, so thank you for that you know how, how do you see yourself relative to this this the wave of interest in psychedelics the, the psychedelic renaissance do you feel like this wave is cresting crashing receding and where are you in that you know uh, where are you in your surfboard
0: and and that, uh, <laughs> yeah. in that wave? i i mean i I, I would like to hope it's it's not, it's just building. I would like, I, I, it's certainly not receding. Mm-hmm. It seems to be gaining momentum in, in ways that I've been almost stunned by. Mm-hmm. I've been really thrilled at the, also the lack of, um, you know, sort of um, media pushback. In fact, it seems that the, it's quite the reverse. It seems like a lot of appreciative media uh, coverage of this phenomena, because I think that, I personally am delighted that after 20 years of basically legal suppression or certainly cultural suppression of, of research on these substances, there's just there has been this upsurge of interest in psychedelics um, therapeutically and, clini- and clinically, and, and then as topics for really creative, thoughtful research, right? Um, one of the reasons I wrote this book. However, was because I think there's been much less uh, discussion of the religious, conscious religious, and and uh, use of psychedelics. So the use of, of psychedelics within a structured religious context. Um, and and I just wanted to give readers a sense of um, what this, what that's like, and 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 how it's, it's it has a different. There's a some different implications and connotations that come with psychedelics when they're used explicit when they, within an explicit and overt religious context instead of recreationally or within a therapeutic context etc cetera, etc cetera. because as we know psychedelics it's all about you know set and setting the sense of the intentionality that you're coming to why you're doing it the the, I. the set the, the 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 set and then the setting meaning the the context in which it's taking place right and so with I wanted to when you're doing taking psychedelics within a, an overtly religious context that's 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 a very specific set and setting and and it works very strongly to help to shape the experience and and so I just wanted to give people as as vivid as I can sense of what it's like to to be immersed in a tradition that uh, is overtly religious in nature. And um, and how does that? What are the implications of that? And um, and what's and, and and I I felt just so blessed that you know I've been studying uh, alternate uh, alternate or non ordinary states of consciousness academically and to a certain extent personally and spiritually for for the last several decades right. And so I wanted to be able to bring that perspective of, of a religious scholar, of a religious studies scholar, to this extremely fascinating, intriguing, um, sort of lived instantiation of what I've been studying academically for you know several decades. Right. And so hopefully it'll engage people and uh, this is this is I'm not speaking as an advocate for the Santo Dynamy though. I'm not really a spokesperson for the Santo Dyname. this I, I could never be that. It's mul- too multifaceted. It's too de- uh, literally even organizationally uh, democratic. Um, but uh, I'm a, I'm someone who's in, been intrigued by it, been studying it for for basically now over 15 years, I'd say. And, um, and I'm delighted to be able to talk about sort of the philosophical implications of this as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well and naturally uh, you're preaching
1: to the choir, right. um, that Bill. All right, I have two more questions I'd like to ask you and they're kind of related. Um, and then I'm going to open it up for the uh, to, to the attendees. So those of you who have joined us, if you didn't hear my message, If you have a question, please drop it into the Q&A function, which is at the bottom of your Zoom screen, um, or at least it is on mine. And uh, do let us know if you'd prefer that your question be anonymous or if you want your name associated with the question. Okay. So Bill, um, the question I have for you has to do with plants. (laughs) So here at the CSWR, we have a very regular and robust reading group on the topic of plant consciousness. We actually also include fungi, but plant and fungi consciousness. We've been reading some really fascinating work um, all year on that topic. Um, And some of the uh, folks we've read are also thinking with about the consciousness of ayahuasca or its constituents and the question I have for you is you say to those who argue that ayahuasca should only be ingested in places where it's native that the plant kind of initiates you into a relationship with the particular flora of Amazonia um, that it shouldn't be shared outside of that context or that it's it, that the person and the power of ayahuasca are changed when the sacrament is shared so far from its
0: native soil, so to speak. Yeah, no, that's a really profound and important question, right? Um, here's my take on it um, I think that. Or, and I'm very aware and I've heard arguments and I, and I tend to concur with them that ayahuasca, and when we're talking ayahuasca here scholarship, it thinks that it was probably the vine part of the of the ayahuasca brew that was it was understood to be um, sort of a, a master teacher. That sh- the people within these shamanic cultures would use to learn about the spirits of other plants. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 in some ways, I think that may be where the uh, addition of the the vine came into the to create the brew that we normally think of as is because the, you know these shamanic people were wanting to get to know the spirits of these different plants via the spirit the master's teacher of of the ayahuasca vine right and so that that perspective you know of like yeah this is what part of at least part of what ayahuasca does seems incredibly important and valid to me i wouldn't want to go so far though as to say that we could only should only take it within that native context um i i feel very deeply grateful that at least the within the santa Naomi tradition we don't believe that and and i and i'm grateful for that fact because i wouldn't have had the opportunity to drink ayahuasca otherwise um and my own experience with the the spirit of ayahuasca is it and i talk about this in the book it's a it's an intriguing question to me is the i mean the physical substance of the The brew is basically identical if you keep it to those two, the vine and the leaf, the, you know, that that are typically understood to create. Uh, I mean, there are some traditions. A lot of the shaman traditions add other other plants to it as well. But but it, but if you just take it to that um, that extent, you know, it's like taking. Let's say I put it, it. Is it? it's a real deep question to me is the intentionality with how a brew is prepared and the 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 understanding that's been given like so within the santo daini we have it's 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 a very sort of it's it's an understanding that the the leaf uh carries the spirit of the divine feminine and the vine carries the spirit of the divine masculine and then Mm -hmm. when it's when it's could, and I have a whole description of what we call the Fei Chiyo, the process of making the daimy. And so it's 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 prepared with people who are drinking while they're drinking daimy and, and communing with daimy that's already been made. They they're preparing, they're singing these received hymns, these hymns that have been come from within, within this tradition from the astral. And they're, they're making it with extreme reverence with the understanding that when these two energies combine, it creates this third thing, that the, the daimi, which for us manifests the Christ consciousness. And the Christ consciousness is understood within this tradition as sort of the I am presence within, mm-hmm. the sense of the, the divine presence that's, that's manifested uniquely within each individual. And so... You know, is that, does that preparation, does that intentionality energetically change, is it, I guess, change that physical substance or does it carry a different being within it? That, I don't, that's a fascinating question. I'm not quite sure about that. You know, are we just interpreting, giving different names to the different, this, you know, so when a more indigenous tradition, you know, is 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 dealing with the you know the spirit of the the plants that go together to create, and they're 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 receiving certain teachings from those plants in their mind. Is that the same being as the what we call Jirami the spirit of the Christ within the Daimy? I don't know, but I w- for whatever reason, thank God, with 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 within our tradition, it's saying no. This this it, it they have a there's a hymn um, that that Master Irineo, who's this man picture you see on the wall here, um, yes. the almost seven foot tall black man, um, who's the founder of the religious tradition, um, he, ha- he has received, you know, you know, many, 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 like oh, well over a hundred hymns um and that are just central to the liturgical work of the Santo Dini And this, and this number number 78 of the, of that. Hy- that we call it, Inario, the hymnal of his. Um, he talks about uh that he he's been called the Dotrinar o mundo inteiro, which means to give teachings to and more importantly, give an energetic transmission to the entire world. Right. And so there's there's a sense and that in the Santo Daime, the Santo Daimy is not a proselytization. Religion at all. In fact, it's it's anti-proselytization. We it's we we really yeah. feel this is not for everyone. This is something that you should be deeply called to, right? But at the same time, there's a sense of like we want to share this with anyone and everyone who feels the call to for that level of spiritual transformation, that profundity of spiritual work, right? And so, and I don't know. Of course, I, in, t- in terms of answering where the, the, where the experience changes, of course it does. To me, every experience of drinking the daimy is utterly not utterly different but significantly different and can be very differently very modified by again the set and setting so when i took when i drank daimy for the longest time within the amazon rainforest of course it was powerful and beautiful but i have had equally powerful and beautiful albeit slightly different perhaps well they're, again they're all different levels mm-hmm. of experience outside of the amazon rainforest so I wouldn't. I just. I disagree with that. With that.
1: Perspective. Okay. Well, that's what I was hoping to surface. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Um, all right. I think I. I'm going in some way. You. You. In this. In your answer to my last question, you <laughs> dissipated my final question. So I don't feel like I need to ask it. And I. In. In light of the time, I want to move to the, the questions that are coming in from the audience. So um, this is an anonymous. <laughs> question. Uh, I'm going to read it out. Um, the question is, uh, well, first a comment, um, especially early in your engrossing book, you often express discomfort with certain aspects of santo daime, which you find problematic, uh, i.e. or e.g. <laughs> it's being rather authoritarian, hierarchical, patriarchal, with a relentless military-like enforcement of ritual practices, along with required uniforms. In other words, it sounds like a cult, albeit one with powerful and effective sacrament. In the end, you seem to resolve the matter, maybe I'm oversimplifying here, by suggesting that the profound spiritual experiences involved in the ritual make those problematic areas tolerable, excusable, even understandable. Please set me straight if I've misread you.
0: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, in the book, I really wanted to be really honest with people about my own process with, with my immersion into this tradition because, um, you know, it's not an easy tradition to get immersed in. And I came from an Eastern, more Eastern background. I was very much the quintessential spiritual but not religious person. I wanted nothing to do with religion, period. Zero. And 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 yet I was intrigued by this, um, and so I I I want people to recognize that that I mean you know we're lived human beings and 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 there were and and to some extent continue to be aspects of the of the of tradition daimitri- daimitri- that that I had to struggle with and that didn't come easy for me. Um, but you know, the, way the the way the the question was phrased it made, makes it feel like that that you know militaristic author purpose. I, I don't know i mean it has some of these tinges to it and it, it depends on how you're, you're what you're open to what you're willing to accept right and for whatever reason i was called to this tradition that you know erineo um, was in the military police for a long time And so he deeply valued discipline and he valued order and structure. And I find that, you know, um, over the years, I've begun to appreciate that more and more um, because there's something about... The, the Santo Dimi raises up such—it's such a powerful catalyst for internal shifts and in conversation and 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 um, transmutations within us energetically—that it's it's it feels sort of comforted <laughs> to have a, a an external ritual structure that's so thoughtful and carefully structured. Now, human, Santo Dimistas da, are, are human beings, and so sometimes they get a little too you know. Little militaristic and whatever, and 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 to me though that's part of in in essence sort of, I, I and I write about this in the book, you know, when you're in a, any religious tradition, regardless of, you know, if it's a religion, you don't get to sort of say, well, I don't like this about it, I don't like this, about it. you know, it's like you got to sort of like work within what you're given, and that is, I think, ultimately really good for your ego if you can do it carefully and thoughtfully. Right, and so I have begun to really value and the communal aspect of the tradition. I adore. I adore the sense that it's it pushes me and and challenges me to go beyond the limits that I would have as a as a spiritual but not religious person. Right, and and I like the fact that I get to talk back to the tradition and through this book, uh, you know, like I I'm 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 in a lived conversation with a tradition that that isn't. It isn't doctrinaire. There's a very low sense of, no one's gonna tell you what you have to believe within this altar diamond, but they are gonna tell you where to sit. (laughs) (laughs) uh, There there are worse things than being told where to sit. Uh,
1: Well, that question, uh, your mention of community is a good segue to this next question, um, which is uh, posed by uh, Karen Harris. So again I'll read Karen's question out loud. Uh, As someone who has deep experience with the Santo Daime, uh, Siddha Yoga, and Harvard, (laughs) I'm struck by the very different cultures in these communities with respect to the public sharing of personal religious experience. In Siddha Yoga, there is a strong encouragement to share one's spiritual experiences in public programs and ashram publications. The sharing of experiences plays a powerful role in acculturating all participants in the tradition. In the Santo Daime, there is much more caution around speaking about what is received in the works other than in the form of received hymns. In a culture that's deeply community-oriented, one rarely hears the experiences of others. With your deep immersion in these two very different cultures, could you speak about the value, purpose, and advisability of sharing personal mystical experiences?
0: Thank you so much, Karen. Um, What a thoughtful question. And um, I actually do write about this in the book as well. I have a whole discussion about this. because uh, as, as Kara mentions, I, I my first, my root spiritual tradition was Siddhi Yoga, which was with a, brought to the West by Swami Muktananda in the 70s, actually I mean, first in the 60s. Um, and she's right, there was a lot of emphasis on sharing experiences within that culture. And I, and I was very used to that. And, and she's also very correct that within the Santo Dami, there's a lot of care given about saying, you know you you want to basically keep these experiences to yourself to sort of keep feel the sacredness of them right but there are certain contexts within the santa tradition especially when elders come to town and they do it they'll do work so some some elders began to have a practice of of, of having a sort of a q a sharing session that was that was going on and certainly jonathan goldman did, did this he, within the, the initial works that I was doing. And I found that very, very helpful and um and very illuminative because to see one, to see how these different elders would work with people and 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 begin to sort of like say, oh yeah, I had that understanding, but maybe I should shift it and, and be able to share my own concerns, my own and my own um like well what what just happened here can you give me some insight into it and things like this that was I found that very helpful also and there's but there is a sense that you know you want to be careful because there can you want to I think I'll always be on the lookout for a sense of grandiosity a sense because I think that's one of the, the the major pitfalls with any psychedelic substance is that you can have such profound experiences that it can sort of like puff you up puff your ego up and you feel like you're the chosen one what have you you know and so um there can be a sense of sort of like using sharing these experiences to subtly puff up your ego i think and i think that's one of the, that's a potential pitfall um and i think that's why there's a caution within the santo dime to, to not do that um but i think Daimistas, informally with close friends that they trust, talk about their experiences a lot. That's been my experience. Mm. And and I think it's extremely valuable because then you begin to have um, counsel with people you trust and value. And that you begin to have others that can mirror back to you, maybe, well, maybe you want to think about it a little differently, or well, how about this? And well, yeah, I experienced this too. And 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 I see what you're saying. And, and you can begin to sort of um uh share insights into the whole process. And so I I do find it valuable if it's done carefully and thoughtfully. Um and and and, and I thought part of my calling if you will and i I, i'll put quote marks around there just simply because of the humbleness i don't what who knows about any of this sort of stuff but i did definitely one of the reasons i wanted to write this book was to extend and deepen that conversation um and so it felt really important for me in my book to share to share is is with as much clarity and depth as i could the uh, sort of different experiences i've had so that people could have a a sense of a um the, a range of the types of, uh, 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 and, and a sort of vicarious insight into the types of experiences that are possible within within the Santo Domingo, more specifically in, in ayahuasca work margin. Okay.
1: Yeah, that reminds me, Bill, of something Mike Murphy, um, co-founder of Esalen, speaks, speaks about in the future of the body, these, these communities of discernment um, that hold and sift extraordinary experiences, which in some traditions, are held by in uh, by monasteries, uh, and and in others by just sort of master-disciple relationships. But um, I just want to underscore what you said that what, how, whatever form it takes, some kind of community of uh, sharing and discerning these extraordinary experiences seems crucial, uh, how, whether that's formal or informal. Um, so we have brilliant questions and comments coming in. So again, forgive me for those of you who are putting up, I'm not gonna be able to get to all of them. I'm gonna opt for a shorter one here, Bill, to give you like a little palate cleanser. Uh-huh. Um, this is from uh, Richard Seville Smith who says, thank you so much, Bill, that was fabulous. It's my understanding that the dominant intention of Westerners traveling to Latin America to take ayahuasca is about healing. Do you think healing can operate without a recognition of a religious context? Now, let me graft another question onto that one very briefly, sorry, because we've been speaking, uh, it, your subtitle is uses spirituality, Although you, earlier you were speaking about religion, and I'm and and, so, and then we have another question on the table, which is about does does this have to do with religion or spirituality? Which, of course, implicit in that is what do we mean by these two terms? So I just want to I want to go back to Richard's question, which is about can healing app uh, uh, operate without a religious context? But also invite you to to say how you what you intend to mean by the terms, religion and spirituality, or
0: using them synonymously. Sure, sure. No, thank you so much. First, I want to just say what a joy it is to be able to engage in this discourse and to be able to sort of, cause it's such thoughtful questions and I just love being able to just think with people as, you know, and engage with this. So I, first, I just want to say that, I just feel it so strong. Um, and yeah, so, um, of course healing can happen without a religious context i mean i i mean, we, I, I think it's just it's unequivocal that you, we have a sense of uh just so much research and, and and evidence that profound levels of healing can happen um to people that are a ath- strong atheist you know there's something inherent in the work with psychedelics that um carries with it just the capacity to heal on the deepest levels, psychologically and even even physically. Often there's some, I mean, certain. I mean, my God, the work of of working with uh, ayahuasca one of the most important things that I've seen is, is worked with addiction. I mean, I have known numerous, numerous very strongly uh, people who have just had enormous problems with with alcohol and opioids that have started working with the daimy and have just become shining exemplars of humanity, you know, and it's, 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 it's of course, you know, it's, it's messy in the sense that humans are humans, but a lot of these people, they could care less about anything religious or spiritual, right? This is, they're at the bottom of the barrel. They just, they just wanted help. They needed help. And so that level of healing, I think is, 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 is absolutely almost at times miraculous. And um, I will personally, though, almost always interpret those healings religiously and spiritually that's because to me the the i the spirit of the Daimy, like i said is the contains within it the spirit of the christ and i don't mean this as to me i mean i mean this as what i mean by that is that it it contains the energy of a, a supremely powerful and beautiful and and utterly loving and and Deeply wise divine being who's coming into this world of darkness and suffering and contraction to to transmute and transform those those contracted energies and to free them up and to awaken everyone right it's and i've had these just profoundly powerful experiences of that being Hmm. and and so to me it's like I can't, I just know that that being is operating in and through this, but it doesn't need necessarily the any belief, overt religious beliefs or overt religious context. Right. Right. And so, what I mean to me, and again, this is so as if this is professor of religious says we often just like spend hours talking about the whole nation what what religion is and there's all these different theories and stuff like this but but yeah, just as a sort of rule of thumb when i'm with the when i'm when i'm talking about the santa dynasty religion i'm talking about um a, a religious a a, a a social structure that is communal that has a a basic set of 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 beliefs of um and a ritual context in which to enact those those assumptions and to deepen them. And, um, you know, so this is a, some, somewhat similar to what I was talking about earlier, that, you know, when you're in a religion, it's a it has a tradition to it. There's a sense of assumptions and expectations that um, you work within. And it's 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 a communal and it has a history, right? Whereas to me, spirituality is much more to do. And, and I still consider myself deeply spiritual, which mean, means that I think that it, it has to do with a a, a lived felt um, connection to that underlines spiritual level or metaphysical level of reality. That to me is... Um, you know what 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 is referred to often you know by the terms god or the goddess or the absolute or however you want to call that but there, there is some transpersonal underlying sense of absolute and being spiritual means you're you have a connection to that and you're wanting to work work to deepen that connection mm-hmm. in, in your life that that that's just my rough offhand off the top of my just just blah 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 sort of way of describing those two
1: okay Thank you, Bill. All right. This is a question from uh, a name known to me, uh, an HDS student here by the name of Jackson Washburn. So, Thank you, Jackson. Um, Jackson asks this. Uh, would you, Bill, would you say that practitioner scholars or quote-unquote religious insiders are uniquely positioned to understand, study, and explain in theogenic spiritual traditions like Santo Daime? compared to wholly external observers. Uh, can those who refrain from partaking of the daime themselves even grasp the essential, the essence of the tradition in any meaningful, personal, or academic sense? So kind of the old emic edic. I
0: know, right? I know. Inside, inside or, or outside, outside. Yeah, inside or <laughs> Bill, yeah. take it away. All right. <laughs> it's so... Oh, my God, I gotta I like I love I love graduate student questions. So <laughs> it's like it's like these are the best, right? And um yeah, I mean I actually I, I talked about this in the introduction because it's it is a real question. I do think um that some valid and important work could be done, let's say on the Santo Dami by someone who was a complete outsider in terms of just studying the external, you know, the I don't know the, you know, what does a ritual look like, you know, and could and bring some insights into the politics and the economics and, and all these sorts of things. But it's, I think you would be missing out on the real important essence of what the Santo Daime is if you've never had any of those experiences. And and I'm part of um, this group called the Ayahuasca Researchers listserv, And, you know, I would say, and this is just rough hand, but I would say the vast majority of people that are strongly academic researchers of ayahuasca have drank ayahuasca quite often themselves. But many of them are unwilling to own that publicly and claim that because they think it would challenge their or or threaten their sense of objectivity or authority, perhaps, I'm not sure. Um, And and so many of the, the articles and, and things that are written academically about ayahuasca, you know, they can appear like this person's never drank this. And, but I happen to know typically for many of them, they have, but that there's a, such a strong sense of the academic protocol and what you say and don't and, and the sort of reluctance at times to engage in first-person discourse around these things. And so I consciously chose otherwise in this book to just basically be very self-reflexive and transparent about my participation in it. But with the sense that, but hopefully with the sense though that, you know, I'm I'm also operating as a religious studies scholar. And the two don't being a participant and being a scholar don't interfere with each other, but rather they deepen and um, um hopefully allow me to sort of look from more angles at the tradition and express what I think is the real magical beating heart of a Santo Dynamic exp- experience um, as, as, as well as I can, you know? So, hopefully that's coming close to answering that question.
1: <laughs> oh, you're, you're doing great, Bill. Um, all right, a few more. Um, it a long day for me and maybe for you too, Bill, so we don't necessarily need to go all the way to the hour, but- um, oh,
0: please, please, come on. let's no, do it, no, let <laughs> the very end.
1: <laughs> all right. <clears throat> um, this is a question from uh, someone joining us from London, Chad Falberg, and Chad says, Bill, can you share your thoughts on the cumulative effects of ayahuasca on an individual through consistent Santo Dime practice? Uh, do you have any recommendations to individuals that are early in their practice? That's that's Chad's question. I, I suppose I will tag onto that, but I don't want to uh, impute this to Chad. But are there um, are there worries about? Well, I, I know there are worries in the Santo Dime tradition. Maybe you could speak to these about um, people seeking out too many experiences.
0: Yeah, uh, the yeah. kind of
1: um, a kind of experience hungry uh, aspect. Now again, that's not Chad's. Chad just wanted to yeah. know if there's cumulative effects. Um, but but I, I take it you you know of what I speak. And could yeah, you sure. could you speak to that too, Bill?
0: <clears throat> sure, sure. let um, just say Okay, hi, Chad. Um, I again, God, I'm loving these questions. Um, cumulative effects. I I think that really varies from. Person to person. And that's one of the sort of the mysteries. Again, this is a highly participatory event. And so it's really fascinating. I, mean, I write about I write about this in the book. That you know, how for one, um, how do we know what is causing different changes within us? Right. You know, so how do we know that this that the changes we're seeing? Are only the result of drinking diamond they may be the result of lots of therapeutic work you're doing maybe the result of body work of dance of yoga of of meditation what have you right and so it's just because I, I write in the book about the whole question of how do you and here's how i draw upon james also he has three criteria for how to assess the value or and or for because he's a private the truth of of a mystical visionary experience right And he says, well, it's immediate luminosity, which means the felt experiential power of the experience itself. There's um, philosophical reasonableness, which means does it present a coherent explanatory system that can make sense of these experiences and that can can illuminate them, right? And then there's what he calls moral helpfulness, this Victorian prose for basically, and and he he refines, he says, does engagement, does this experience, on the whole and over the long run, make the person or the community better, right? And that last thing becomes a whole big issue, a huge issue to me that's really complicated. And and so, of course, I think that people can, and certainly have a strong assistance to just transform themselves on the deepest levels of their being by engaging in this tradition. Because it, I mean, and we we could we could begin to talk about that to some extent, but it, I have seen certainly within my own my own life and certainly within the life of, of many people that I love an increased capacity. One of the uh, to uh, to create what they call in, in the tradition firmness or uh, the, the Portuguese firmeza, you know, and that what that means is the ability to be grounded, to be present, to be in your heart in the middle of the influx of what we call the force the the divine transformative power of that that you strongly can feel within these rituals and that fear mesa is carries out into our daily life right so in the turbulence of just daily life can we begin to more and more stay in our hearts can we be clear and 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 one thing that I've also felt, though, with with ongoing practice of the Santo the cumulative effects for many people is an increased sensitivity to the uh, energetic underpinnings of what's going on around within themselves, but also the sort of interconnection of energies that you begin to sort of um, be much more sensitive to that, and the, what and that is a good thing, but it can be it's a learning process. Because as you open up, a lot of us are, you know, we're, we've developed sort of energetic shields to that inner penetration. We, we've sort of almost said we, we prefer to be billiard balls rather than um, open to these energies. You know, so like bounce, let them bounce off, um, usually out of fear. And so what happens with, the, with, the, with when you're drinking ayahuasca is you begin to feel that inner connection of life much, much more deeply and experientially and viscerally. And so it takes a while to learn how to sort of integrate all of that and to stay centered and grounded and while feeling it all so strongly, right? And and yet that feeling allows you to feel compassion and to feel, and to really, I think, get a, a more clear an accurate, spiritually accurate sense of the interconnection of life, right? And so, I think that's something that happens a lot, and and just openness of heart, I think, can often happen. Um, and and ideally, clarity of mind, which is all to me, all comes with that fear mesa. Right? Um, and but then, but each person's their own being, and you know, some people are they can drink gallons of of ayahuasca and still be assholes. And that's been an incredible mystery to me. Mm, yeah. You know? And there, there are sorcerers that drink ayahuasca right? and curse people. How that's possible is unimaginable to me. Mm, and so, you know, I I think it's part of us being free spiritual beings, and we can choose how we're going to use this energy that comes from the Daimir ayahuasca. Right. We have. You know, now. and so okay responding more to your your question Charles about the uh, that sort of addiction to experience I, I I do write about that too in fact I have a whole little subchapter called more is not always better um which I think is a crucially important issue to to address within certainly within the Sandradami but I think also just within any um maybe even ayahuasca group period or I mean I, I don't want to we might have, you know, in-depth knowledge of all of this, but, or just with any, it goes back to what Trumka Rinpoche would tell us, you know, spiritual materialism, right, that sense that, uh, a sense of self-examination about why are we doing this, are we doing it to fill a void, right, and so the sense that we have to keep filling void with something external, right, mm. there are people that, that can sort of have, that, that, that they, want that hit, begin to crave that hit of that, that, that opening, right? Though (laughs) I have to, I want to balance this out by saying there is nothing addictive at all to my mind about the Sandra Diamond, that is anti-addictive. It's a miracle anyone ever drinks it more than once. (laughs) It's really tough. It's very challenging. And so I don't want to, but there, I'm I'm talking about something very subtle, right? A sense that somehow we're not complete unless we're in these sort of more expanded states of consciousness. And so I just think that that's uh it's something that may be at plays at times, but I think there is something inherent about doing this work that will address that issue. And I th- I I thought I felt it was important enough to talk about spe- specifically in the book, but I think there's also the the dining itself is a is it is an incredibly profound teacher it can really help you gain tremendous insight into these you know ego issues egoic issues right and so I do think that there's a there there and vanistas can help with that process too like hey it's not it's, it's it's carrying this into your daily life that really matters right and It's not just about doing, sometimes we need a lot of time to integrate these experiences and to really reflect on them. And every person has their own pacing and timing. And I've seen really beautifully how elders at times will you know, sort of crack the whip and encourage discipline, encourage people to go beyond their limits. But at other times it's like, hey, slow down. You know, this is a marathon. This isn't a sprint. You know, you need to just, et cetera, et cetera. right. So there's a sense of almost the timing of it that, and the individuality of each person's process, I think is really important. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you, Bill. This were you, you such such clear and compelling and also heartfelt answers to these great questions. And so I want to also thank everyone who uh, attended and and posed such interesting um, and insightful questions. Bill, maybe um, just a last parting question. Uh, Obviously, people will want to pick up your book and read that. Um, Are there other books, are there scholars uh, whom you'd like to recommend, uh, either on the Santo Daime tradition or more generally on psychedelic spirituality?
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Yeah. Um, First, before I forget, I have a little plug that um, anyone that reads the book will know. I've also created a companion website for the book. That's under it's www.liquidlightbook.com. And that's a really good resource for people to, to, um, who, you know, want to in there include something like, like I call Psychedelics 101, Santo 101. I have a whole, um, series of, uh, of different chapters that didn't make it in the book, but also. I, I wrote an extremely long um about a, over 130 page biography of the founder of the religion Mestre Eating for people who want to go more deeply into, into the historical background of the tradition, which I thought the book was initially going to contain, right? But I could it just the book kept growing and, and so bitter and I had to make some hard choices. And, and I think it's better for it to be on the website because it can then it can continue to grow too. Um and then I also have a collection of my the hymns that I've received, which is that's a whole other thing. I wish we had had the time to talk about the hymns and stuff. But but receiving hymns is such a mysterious and beautiful process. And I'm not claiming that my hymns are at all even. They're not really even like standard Santo Dami hymns in certain ways. But at least so that people can get a sense of, of, of sort of um, the more sonic aspects of the tradition, or at least at least my my hymns. So, okay. Um, in terms of um scholars that I value, um, I'm sitting here looking at my 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 bookcase. Um it there there is I just want to put a plug in for this one. If you don't read Portuguese, it's not gonna help, but I just want to just acknowledge the the incredible research that's been done by um by um Edward McCrae and his and his student was it Paulo Moreira um, who wrote this book called Avignon Gilongi Gijlanti Avignon Longi, which is a, a phrase from one of Ineo's, uh hymns. I come from far away, and um, it's about it's it's incredible. It's the biography of Nasser Ineo, the founder of the tradition. So I just want to give a shout out to that. Um, but in, in English. Um, some of the, the people that I have enjoyed by far the most, um, just certainly recently, um, Mark Blaney has written this amazing book called Christ Returns from the Jungle. That's an, that's a beautiful um, ethnography and an anthropological analysis of the Santo Damian Europe. And it includes all these amazing experiences that people have had and and analysis of it. And and it's very, very thoughtful. And so I just want to definitely give him a a plug. And then I have loved the work of Chris Bache, who his most recent book is uh, LSD in the Mind of the Universe, where it's very courageous description of, um, I think it's well over 70 high dose LSD sessions that he did explicitly um to sort of explore into the depths of the cosmos and he's a philosopher of religion and and this and and i just feel like he is uh giving very very thoughtful detailed um, um profoundly metaphysical questions about using about and, and with a keen sort of self-reflexive awareness of of um uh, sort of the the problems and potentials of using psychedelics as a way to explore the nature of reality and i just find it just really clear and 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 thoughtful so those two right off the bat i mean there's there's so many more my gosh and i keep referring to them throughout the throughout the book i mean um i i'm also deeply appreciative of um you know sacred knowledge you know bill richard's work um i I, you know i think i wrote the ford for that and uh I think it was the Ford or the preface I guess that was, uh, but I definitely wrote one of those. And he's just an amazing, thoughtful person with a with a deep background in, in religious studies as well, who uh, is one of the elders of the psychedelic tradition. And I think it's just really thoughtful. And, uh, and of course, you know, I also think that, uh, um, thank God for Michael Pollan's book. And his work and the, the whole net, netflix series on how to change your mind i think that's opened up the discussion in such a beautiful way to the broader public and, and sort of helped to legitimize and ground the study of psychedelics and where people can begin to let go of their fear and all of the paranoia that was created in, in the 60s by often just flat government and media propaganda
1: mm. Wonderful, thank you. I didn't know about all those books, Bill, so I'm especially happy to hear that and um, always looking for yeah, suggestions, so very appreciative. Um, our time is up, and so I want to thank you so much, Bill. This has been such fun, rich presentation, conversation, uh, such an important book you've written. So thank you deeply. Thanks for the opportunity. It's a delight, absolute delight. So uh, for those of you who are still with us, please be on the lookout for future events this semester and next, uh, many of which we will continue to offer like this as Zoom Some uh, zoom webinars Um, and please do sign up for our newsletter if you're interested in the kind of programming we do here at the Center in person, if you happen to live in Cambridge or online wherever you may be. Um, We're delighted to continue our online programming, because we reach just such a broader audience than we could ever hope to uh, entice to this
0: corner of Cambridge. Thank you so much for doing this work, Charlie. You, what the Center the Study World really is doing is profound and important. And so I just want to really thank you for that.
1: Thank you, Bill. That means a great deal from you. Um, and it's glad to know that it's reaching you and other uh, people around the country, around the world. So um, I, with that, I will say thank you again, everyone. And good night. And see you next time. Bill, until we meet again. Thank you, brother. Wonderful work. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Good night.
0: Sponsor Center for the Study of World Religions.
1: Copyright 2023, President and Fellows of Harvard College.